So there was times I didn't know if I would survive at all. And like having actually lived with that feeling, mm. you know, it's hard not to be very, very grateful every morning that you wake up. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. Dr. Dearn O'Leary is a Cork City-based GP who experienced significant adversity in her early life. With the death of her sister, Elaine, she experienced professional burnout and a cervical cancer diagnosis in 2019. In her own words, she's fortunately well, happy and healthy again. She says her mission is to do her best to share positivity and an optimistic outlook. She describes how a cancer diagnosis brought into sharp focus just how much she has to be grateful for now in her life. She says she wakes up grateful to be alive each morning, that she hopes to never lose that strong sense of gratitude, to share that sense of joy as much as she can. Listen to this podcast and learn about the power of gratitude, grit, resilience and realistic optimism, how you can't change your experiences in life but you can change the explanation. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Darren O'Leary. Darren, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Mark. Really excited and looking forward to our conversation. Fantastic. I mean, it is such a challenging time right now with COVID. How have you been dealing with the challenges of COVID? I suppose as a GP, it was very challenging at the start and how we had to change our work practices. Because I think, you know, like you, we are so used to being there with the patients and being available um, face to face, you know, particularly in general practice. And that change at the start was very, very difficult. And I found that a difficult adjustment, um, you know, having to switch to phone consultations and reduce footfall. And, and, and then kind of as was the anxiety as well at the start of we didn't know how what this disease was, you know, we didn't know what we were dealing with. And it was it was it was scary. But, you know, we've adapted and I think that's actually been one of the the great things about general practice. We've changed how we work so much and now I think that, you know, we're getting back to normal and the the main strategy that we have in our surgery to to reduce risk of either one of the staff getting COVID nineteen or, you know, patients we just reduce all consultations, you know, if they need to be face to face, just keeping it to less than 15 mm. minutes so that, you know, there's no close contact if either the patient or doctor 
ends up testing positive. So that's a good strategy that we're using and it's actually working really nicely now. So I feel like we're getting back to normality, delivering normal healthcare, which I think has been so important that that, you know, isn't neglected. And it's been really nice, actually busy, but I feel like we we got through that really difficult time and there has been the third wave. But, you know, we're getting kind of getting inching back to normal. Like you, Darren, I mean, I've been very proud of the role general practice has played since COVID broke. Yeah. And, you know, I think it really is a great sign of the flexibility and adaptability and resilience of GPs and family doctors on the ground to do what has to be done in service of their patients. So I think that could be a good starting point for our discussion today. You know, why did you decide to become a doctor? The initial reason was simply because I liked science. I was mm. about, I suppose I was about 15 when I thought, when I first started wanting to do, to, I wanted to study medicine, actually, when I was 15. I didn't want to be a doctor. I wanted to study medicine. And that was my mindset. And it was because I went from primary school then into secondary school and it turned out I was good at science <laughs> and it was something yeah. I really liked. <laughs> and I remember just, I think I just asked my sister one day, I said, what does somebody who likes science do? And she said, oh, medicine would be a good idea. And that's kind of where it came from. So it wasn't me wanting to actually set out to be a doctor. It was me enjoying mm. science and wanting to study medicine. And what in, what in your words is the key difference between being a doctor and studying medicine because they are separate aren't they? They're very separate yeah and that's such a good point because I think I'm so lucky that I enjoy Mm. being a doctor because I didn't necessarily go in because I wanted to start I started out wanting to study medicine and I'm really lucky that I enjoy being a doctor. Being a doctor is bringing uh, human emotion, bringing human lives bringing empathy, bringing all of that, and particularly in general practice, bringing the science bit with all of that other stuff and, you know, things just psychological well-being as well of of both yourself and the patient. So there's it's a different art and it's more of an art than a science, actually, general Mm. practice, I think. And it it is different. It's it's more flexible. It's more complex. It's more empathic. But I I love it. And and I'm, I'm lucky that I do love it because as you say, medicine and being a doctor are actually very different things in many ways. And I think that's that's a great line you used, you know, saying that you feel so lucky to be a doctor and that you really love what you do. Because I think, you know, all the research from positive psychology would suggest that if you love what you do in life or actually by choosing mm. to love more what you do today, it's a great way to dissolve toxic stress yeah. and build that inner sense of, of well-being and, and fulfillment, which I think is so massive. But am I right in saying, Darren, that you didn't always feel fulfilled in your role as a doctor, particularly in the earlier years? Yes. So in the earlier years, I often look back and I don't know Mm. what the exact factors were. And there's probably a number of factors that that kind of made me feel that way. I mean, Mm. I loved studying medicine. Um, Mm -hmm. best time in UCC great friends and actually you know what I don't really remember the study I just remember the fun and the good times so I really enjoyed it but then it came into going from studying medicine to actually you know being an intern which was which was very very difficult transition you know that transition alone is difficult but it was it was compounded by the fact that it was about it was well it was two days after I graduated from medicine my sister passed away she was in a road accident Mm. 
And that must have, that must have been a huge, huge upset and loss for you at the time. You know, it was just, it was, it was just earth shattering. You know, my world just was, my world was gone and everything mm. I knew had just changed. And <laughs> because of it, and you know, Mark, I can talk about so many things, but I can't talk about my sister without becoming tearful because uh, we were just, we were, we were best friends. Sure. But I just, everything, you know, all because I was, you know, I was very, as a young person, I was ambitious and I was studious and I was goal orientated, but all of a sudden it was gone and I was just numb and I didn't, I was just numb. And I think the more I look back at it, the more I think I, you know, I was just, I was turning up in person, but my mind wasn't there. And I, and I had, I, w- I was so bruised myself and mm. I was so, I was so much, I was in you know, such a grief stricken state that I had Mm -hmm. had nothing to give to other people, colleagues Mm. or patients in terms of being a doctor. So I just lost the sense of what I was doing. I just I I was I was completely lost. Yes, that's totally understandable. Can I just take a step back and I just ask you, what was your late sister's name, Duran, and what happened to her? Her name was Elaine. And, you know, we really were great friends. She was my older sister, you know, so, you know, as as a younger sister looking up to an older sister, I looked up to her. And I think that's a lot where my my, my studiousness came from, because I saw her and she studied a lot. She was very academic. And I thought, you know, I want to be like Elaine and Elaine's really Mm. good at school and I want to be like her because she was very bright. But she was very different to me as well. She was she was artistic. She was more uh, she was a freer spirit. She was yes. she studied English in UCC, mm. very into Irish history, a really a free spirit. But then and then as time went on, she eventually st- uh, worked in Google in Dublin. And just as she, as she was kind of, you know, progressing in the career ladder there, she decided to take some time out and to travel around Australia, I suppose, and see more of the world before settling down. So she was there for a while um, traveling around with her boyfriend and friends. Mm-hmm. And there's in Australia, if you're to stay there to get a visa to stay longer, a lot of the time they, uh, p- these yeah, tourists or people trying to get a visa, they have to work on a farm or do some rural work uh, to, to to help the application or something. So she and her boyfriend were in a farm just it was outside Melbourne. It was a very rural area and they were picking pomegranates and that's what they were doing to get the visa to stay there longer. But there was then the person on the farm was bringing them to like a supermarket or something, something so that they could get supplies for the week ahead. And they were on it. It was a rural road. And there there was the, the car, the a, a truck, an oncoming truck crashed into their car. And she unfortunately didn't survive the accident. Aww. So, you know, it was just of all of the of all of the things in life, you know, I still you never get over it. No, um, it just it really just it really really I didn't mm. feel right for years after it happened. I'm I'm sure I'm sure you didn't, Darren. And you know, I think loss. You know, many people listening to this will have experienced loss, and when you do experience the loss of someone close, as I say, it's like there's a large piece of your jigsaw of your life mm. missing. And you're never going to cover in that piece. It's gone. I mean, perhaps the best thing is to remember the good times and, you know, always 
accept that that is part of who you are now. Exactly. And as, as time has gone on, I, I'm able to see it that way. I, you know, I feel a lot of the time that she's with me. Um, if I mm. see like, you know, she was very funny and she had a great sense of fun, a really fun mm. person, really outgoing and lo- like loved to laugh, you know, and I have yes. so many pictures of her and they're all of just of her having a uh. great time and adventuring and, you know, traveling and being with friends. And if I see something funny, I'll laugh at it with her. And, you know, I do. I, I, I'm very grateful that, you know, she she was my older sister and, you know, yes. that she was such a, an influential and positive part of my life and I you know you know I really like I really do wish she was still here and we could still be great friends but I I still I have her with me still in many ways I feel yeah which is lovely to remember her that way are you a spiritual person Jern I pick up listening to you that you are it's funny Mark I get asked this and I don't know (laughs) I don't know (laughs) and I I think I'm not very spiritual but I am open to the idea of becoming more spiritual. I am open to that thought or idea. And I, I'd like to, something I'd like to develop more, I think, as I get older. It's something I haven't worked on or thought about a lot, but it's something there in my head that I think I want to explore it more mm-hmm. as time goes on. Because I mean, and you see it with patients as well, you know, that, that it's such a part, it's such an important part of people's lives. And how enriching it can be to people's lives. Up to now, I wouldn't say that I'm a spiritual person, but it's something I think about and something I wouldn't close the door on becoming more spiritual. I'd like to, you know, if, if they, I suppose may, I think a lot of people feel like spirituality kind of comes to them or something that comes into their life. So if yes. it did, I would definitely embrace it and explore it. Well, I think a very interesting word you, you used there, Darren, was the word open. Mm. And it's something I, I really believe in is is staying open, keeping your mind open to new possibilities, keeping your heart open to new experiences. Yes. And just staying open, being a learner, mm. be, being open to new conversations. And uh, would you agree that that's a, a really good way to I, live your life? Yeah, I'm really I'm really smiling here because I agree <laughs> so much. I really agree. And I think as I get older, that's something that I do more and more. And I, as you say, be a learner and learn about new things and be open to have your mind or outlook mm. changed or do things differently or think about the world in a different way. And yes. um, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's such a, and, it, and then that makes the world and life very exciting because you can go out and absorb new things and learn new ways of thinking about things. And before, and I, and I don't know if it's, if it's, because I'm maturing or so mm. getting older, but I would mean very fixed in my thought process, you know, maybe five years ago. Whereas now I, I, over time, I've learned the the power and benefit and you know, I get the benefit really of, of being open to and being adaptable and being flexible um, yes. in, in how you think and what you do and how you view the world. Well, I think we are all on a life journey, Darren, and I think we can grow and learn from our experiences and we do change. The only constant in life is change. We're constantly changing and we have that opportunity to grow and evolve. And this idea of of, of they talk about now post-traumatic growth. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of research that shows that we do really grow from challenging, tough times in our past. Absolutely. 
And when I think of, I, I suppose, the two most defining mm. moments for me in life so far in terms of yes. adverse offence, it would be my sister's death. Yes. And later on in life, then by being diagnosed with cancer. And still, if I had the choice, I would go back. And for those not to happen, I would choose for neither of those things to happen. But sure. they've, they've made me now who I am today. And I've learned a lot from them. Um, I've learned from those experiences. And one of the things that I've that I really have from that I've gotten from both of those experiences is a real sense of gratitude uh, mm. for life and for what you do have in your world. And that you're, when you're so grateful for what you do have, you, you really do get so much joy and happiness from that, you know, from just being grateful to, and you know, I'm so grateful to get up in the morning, go into work, do my job. I love what I do. And yes. you know, be able to go out for a walk. You know, I'm so grateful to be able to do that. And um, so I do have a real strong sense of gratitude and I have, you know, grown as a person through those adverse events in my life. Well, gratitude is such a powerful emotion, such a powerful, positive emotion, and it's such a powerful habit to cultivate yeah. as a practice. Can I ask you about that time, Darren, when you were when you were diagnosed with cancer? I mean, that must have been a very challenging time for you. It was just it's difficult to even describe it because mm. it's a cancer diagnosis is it was such a shock, you know, it wasn't ever. And I and I, I don't know, if, like I was never somebody who worried about my health at all. It was such a shock. But then it's this like, it's like this feeling of just, it's like terror. It's frightening and it's fast. You know, you have to move fast. You don't have time actually to sit around and think about what's happened. You have to mm. move and do the extra scans and you have to do the appointments. And it comes so thick and fast and it's go, go, go. And, you know, you need to do this operation. You need to do that scan. You have to be here. You have to be there. You had to schedule time to tell my friends, to tell my mm. family, I had to meet people. And it was it was very frenetic, you know, that initial few weeks. And it wasn't actually until after my surgery event it was I, I was diagnosed with with cervical cancer. And after a lot of okay. after a lot of tests and scans and staging it was stage one but I mean there was actually a time actually there was there was a scan done of my lungs at one point and they thought it was actually in my lungs at one point which would have been a lot later stage and a lot worse problems so there was times I didn't know if I would survive at all and like having actually lived with that feeling Mm. you know it's hard not to be very very grateful every morning that you wake up then after that and Mm. and get to live your life and you know do what you love to do but I eventually went on anyway to have surgery which was thankfully stage one and it was about maybe two weeks afterwards that it hit me and I just I mean that was the first time that I cried about it Mm. um, because you know, the first few weeks is actually just it's very frenetic and you don't you don't have time to think about it. You just have to move sure. and go and do what you need to do. I suppose you were so caught up in the the enormity of, of, of the shock and and then doctors wanting to treat you and so on. You didn't even have time probably to process it. Exactly. Yeah, I really didn't. And I there was a lot of I 
did a lot of what now I look back and I realized was distraction. So I was distracting myself as well. So between the appointments, you know, we would if it was before an appointment, we would go for a nice lunch or a nice lunch afterwards or we would go on walks. I just kept we kept very, very busy. You know, my husband was so great during Mm. the time to keep me up, keep me going, get out, go for a walk, um, go for lunch, get up, get dressed. I remember I mean, there, the day they weren't, they were not common, but I do remember there was one day and I thought, actually, no, I'm not getting up today. I can't actually do it. I can't physically get up mm. and go out. But my husband, he he got me out and he said, you have to get up. You have to go, like we're, we're going on a walk. And, you know, you never feel bad after a walk, actually. <laughs> So he kept me going and there were days, not not many days, maybe a handful, like I would find it hard to get dressed, but I was just, you know, do it, get up, get out, keep moving, keep going. So that was, I just, I, I suppose, yeah, I, I just kept having to go and go and go. And then it's not until after, after all of that and the dust settles that you get to think about what happened, you know. But when I think about it now, still the predominant feeling for me is gratitude that I'm okay that I I get to live my life now. Absolutely. Did you need any additional treatment or was the surgery enough in itself, Darren, for you? I didn't. I didn't need any further treatment yet. There was, yeah, I that's it. You know, I was so lucky. The the margins were clear. Fantastic. Yeah, and I didn't need any further treatment. Did you go go and, you know, to process the emotional, you know, severity of of the shock and so on? Did you go for counselling or did you go for any kind of supportive therapy or anything like that? You know, I didn't through it. And it wasn't until after the dust had settled. Because, you know, actually funny, the few months after I suppose my surgery had finished and I was back to normal. I started I started working very, very soon again. Actually, I, I really wanted to get back to work because I thought I was really dying to to be on the other side again. I thought like I have to get back to me. So I got back stuck back into work. I think it was about it was about three and a half weeks after my surgery. Wow. Which was <laughs> nobody could kind of stop me, but I was but on a part-time basis it wasn't it wasn't a full-time job. But I got back to work and then we went on holidays. We were trying to go on a holiday and we went to Malta and then we went to New York and you know, I was really, it was an adrenaline rush of being alive. And I, you know, was doing all of that. And it wasn't until all of that settled that I kind of had to sit with the emotions mm. and to sit with it and think about it. So I did actually, I did do some psychology sessions. That was, let me think, it was around, it was a good few months afterwards anyway, possibly less than a year and I did that and I found that very useful because and the, when I when I when I spoke with the psychologist about it and we were talking about kind of the psychology of survivorship and I said to her I said look I don't know if I if I need to to do this with you or if I need a psychology appointment but I said I feel like I should because I, I go to the dentist you know and I get my teeth cleaned to make sure that my teeth are kept okay and you know I go to yes. my you know my GP for my checkups and I said I think I want to just check in with somebody here to make sure you know that I'm minding my psychological health as well you know and I really enjoyed the sessions and I do I do think it was it was very useful and I did that but it wasn't until quite a while after the dust had settled I think that, you know, talking therapy, you know, and as you said, in your case, the psychology of survivorship, I think being able to go and talk to somebody who's objective, who's there to listen, 
who has specific training in that area, that can be very, very helpful to help us process emotions, sometimes feelings of guilt or, you know, just unresolved issues. Mm. Uh, You know, in my work as a GP, Darren, you know, I, I meet people all the time who I would recommend go for some talking therapy. I think it can be invaluable in so many ways. Absolutely. And, you know, what I've learned as well in life and when the, the more complex cards that life deals to you as you get older, anyone you go to, they I mean, they have their like they're dealing with their own their own hurt, I suppose, of the situation, like in particular, you know, like I can talk to my to my husband about it as well. And but, you know, he had he, he had his own journey of it all as well. You know, like he had the really? experience of, you know, that his wife had a very serious illness and that was his journey on it. So, mm. and then your friends, friends always, you know, friends don't know what to say. I mean, what what can you say to somebody who's who's been through this? So, and what I really like about actually the idea of 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 counselling or psychology or a psychotherapist is then you get to actually just be your your when you're with friends then you're you're just friends and yes. they're not there to be your therapist or your counsellor and when you're with your husband then you get to you know just be he's your husband or your you're his wife and then you do the other work then. With somebody else, obviously, you know, you confide in friends and, and you know, you, you chat and you talk, of course, but just, I suppose, on, on, a, on a deeper level or more maybe psychologically profound level, it's it's a really useful thing to do. That's right. And it, it's unconditional as well. When you, when you go for the, for the talk therapy, you can just park stuff there, as it were, and, and leave it there. Yes. And I think it's great you, you did that, Darren, especially as you're a doctor, because one of my experiences in healthcare is that doctors are often conditioned in, into believing they have to be superhuman. Mm. They have to be bulletproof. They have to be willing to work all the hours God gives them and more. And you have to repress how you feel and suppress emotion. And if you show any sign of weakness yeah. or vulnerability yeah. or wanting to have a full life outside of what's defined by the norms and conventions of mm. of medical life that really you really need to think again about your career and you know I did a workshop recently for young GPs on the whole area of burnout prevention and I know how prevalent burnout is in in the modern world but particularly among healthcare professionals and you know I think from speaking to you before Darren it's something you experienced in your early years as a hospital doctor is that right? I did and it was, it was, I suppose, a product of the the hours that we do, you know, as, yes. as, as junior doctors in the hospital. And I had no, I had no tools built up mm. to learn actually how to, how to protect myself and how to mind my physical and mental health. Because as you say, as doctors, it's a culture and an ethos of work, 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 work. And the doctor must not be sick or the doctor must always be available and no weakness. And you are no you're you're nothing but a doctor. And and I was too young at the time to really realize that that I needed to try to protect myself in some way from that culture. And look, some people do better in that situation than others. But I just I got very, very, very consumed in it. And 
I wasn't making time. And one of the big things actually changed in my life from when I was a junior doctor to now is I wasn't making any time for friendships or seeing my friends. I wasn't mm. making my health the priority or even like my sleep. And I know obviously, you know, you, you're sleep deprived if you're working on call, but on the days that I was off, I wasn't making sure that I was eating properly, sleeping, exercise, or even just taking time for mm. my psychological health. And it just, it became too much and it was just one job after the other. And then my whole life for for that period of time was just work, 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 no family, no friends, no hobbies, nothing. And it eventually, of course, you know, it caught up on me. And I did have an episode of burnout and I was physically sick as well. I ended up having kidney stones and I was sick. And oh, dear. I know. So it was just, look, it was a lot. And I think it was just because it was a naivety of, of it was just my age as well. I was too young to realize that you couldn't sustain what I was. I couldn't sustain what I was doing. And I did have, have a time. I was about, at the time, it felt like a, such a huge amount of time. It was about five weeks. I think I was out of work. That was back in, that was, feels like maybe, I think that was 2017. But I just I couldn't keep going. And what you say as well about the doctor being strong, like that was such a thing as well that I, I and mm. I hope and I, you know, I think in general practice, though, such a lovely, not only a place to to work and the job that you do, that being a GP is a lovely job, but it's a really nice environment and community and culture to work that I think that it's really supported that you mind your own health and that you are encouraged to have your family life, to have your friendships, to have your hobbies so I thankfully feel like now I, I do take the time. I take the time for my friendships and to see my friends. And I take the time to mind my psychological health. And actually, I, what I did this morning is I signed up for a balance group, which oh. I'm hoping might help a little bit as well. So it's now like little things like that. Yes. That I, you just explain to the listeners, because I know what a balance group is, but yeah. many people listening mightn't know. Can you just explain? Well, what a balance group is, Darren? I'm not sure though, Mark, because I've never been in a balance group. So <laughs> I think I think it's somewhere where we go as doctors together to anonymously to to speak about challenging cases, I think, but I'm not sure. I'm yes. Not sure. And I think it is it, it it is opening up the box on I think what's really going on in the consultation. Yes. And I think it it enables you to become a better consultor and enables you to yeah. listen to and empathize with and care for patients more yeah. holistically and also at the same time care for yourself because I see it as being a natural yin and yang. It's never sustainable if you don't also care for yourself. And yeah. I think, you know, the word healthcare, Darren, is really two words. It's it's health and it's care. And I think, you know, the medical profession has done a pretty good job on on the health side, but not so good a job on the caring side, particularly when you're looking at the care of the of the staff that are working in healthcare. Mm. And burnout now has been recognized by the World Health Organization as an occupational phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And it's workplace stress triggered by either, either the workplace or the individual or both. And, you know, I like really like that word toolkit that you mentioned, because I think we all need to have our own toolkit of strategies to support our own self-care and really to to stay well, to to have that resilience buffer for the world that's out there, because the world brings challenges and tough times for all of us. So can I ask you, Darren, what's in Darren's toolkit to support her staying physically, 
healthy and mentally strong and emotionally open? You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate now in that the job is, I love my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, avoiding burnout is something you actually have to, you know, you have to work on it. Absolutely. You know, every It's day. ongoing, isn't it, Darren? It's a practice exactly. that's ongoing. Exactly. And I, you said about, it's all about habit earlier and habits that you develop and you can develop them. You can develop good habits and things to develop. And it's, it's, in, it's an interesting idea because being busy is different to being on the path to burnout. So I do, I take time, I take time to do important things to mind my, my, I suppose, my psychological health, even though sometimes I I might feel very busy, like, you know, my schedule is quite busy, but I'm going to make time for the balance group because that's going to help my own psychological health and then help help me hopefully as well develop as as a GP. Um, Yes. Make time as well for friendship. So even if no matter how busy your schedule is, uh, making that time to connect with your friends is so important because that's something I didn't do. I just did not do that as a junior doctor. And that is that wasn't healthy. And I feel so much healthier now to have healthy and strong friendships and um, taking time as well to, to be with my husband and and really taking that time. And you can feel like you can feel like I was very work obsessed when I was younger. And it would be you must study all day, study all night, study the weekend. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be successful, you have to work harder, you have to work harder and mm-hmm. you won't su- you won't succeed and you won't progress if you don't work every hour that's out there. Whereas now I see that actually taking time to drop it all and you might have a lot of tasks there and there's things to do and there are things that need to be done, but it's actually more productive to to leave it there, obviously within reason, but leave some tasks and spend time, you know, with your friends or with your family or outdoors, you know, or taking time for yourself that will, you know, build you up. And then even if you are very, very busy, but taking time to do those restorative healing um, healthy things, I make a huge effort as well, you know, to to get you know, the basics, you know, like sleep, going for a walk. As I said, you never feel bad after going for a walk. It's so good no. for you. <laughs> um, you know, getting in my exercise as well. So doing all of those things, making time for them. And, and you know, really they, they become habits, as you said, over time. And and, and practicing gratitude every day. And, you know, I really feel like, you know, my walk to work in the morning, I'm, I'm so lucky to be here. I'm so lucky that I'm mm. walking on my two feet into work. And because I remember there was mornings when, when I was sick and, and I would see we were driving into the hospital and everyone else was driving to work and I envied them so much. I was, I want to, that's where I want to be. I want to be going back to work. So I, I never take it for granted now. So being being grateful, I think, helps me to avoid yes. as well. And do you write do you write things down, Darren, that you feel grateful for, or do you just feel it I, and express it verbally to yourself? Yeah, I feel it. I don't write it down because you know what, Mark, it's the same every day. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I couldn't if I wrote it every day, it would just be the same thing every day. And what I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful yes. to be healthy. I'm grateful for my job that I love. I'm, you know, grateful for my mm. my husband who's happy and healthy as well. So and those, yes. those are it. And then I, you know, I'm grateful to to go to sleep at night, you know, I'm so grateful yeah. that because that was something, you know, that as, as you know, as a junior doctor, you, you you can't do. So it's just the same thing all the time. And I'm so grateful and happy to to have all of those things in my life. Which is absolutely wonderful. And I think, you know, gratitude is such a powerful antidote 
to toxic stress, mm-hmm. to negativity, to feelings of, you know, sameness in your life. Yeah. What's really interesting, I mean, I'm very passionate about positive psychology, Darren, and how you can enhance feelings of, of well-being is to keep a written gratitude practice. And what the research seems to suggest is that simply writing down three things you feel grateful for and why, even just doing that once a week mm. uh, for 10 weeks leads to a sustainable upturn in your well-being, perhaps by at least 10 percent. Wow. And, you know, for me, I, I love to write down what I feel grateful for. And I agree with you totally. Doing it every day would just make it feel monotonous. But just doing it once or twice a week, I feel it it sort of connects, you know, the writing part of your brain with the expressive part and sort of makes your feelings of gratitude more intentional. Yes. So, you know, it's something I often recommend to patients, by the way, to keep a written gratitude practice. But you're so right to feel grateful, to be so to feel so privileged for the life you're living and to focus on what's going well. I think that's a great way to reframe your mind and boost your emotional bank account and even to sleep better at nighttime. There's some science showing that that writing down what you feel grateful for at night can can boost your sleep quality as well. And something I'm very interested in, Darren, is this idea of grateful reframing, Mm -hmm. which you've really exemplified through our time together today. And grateful reframing, reframing, just for the listeners, is to think about a setback in your life and then to consider how you've grown since that setback, what you've learned, how you now become grateful for this event after the fact, even though you weren't grateful at the time, mm-hmm. how you've benefited, how you've grown and how it's changed your, your life perspective and your worldview. And really, that's that's how you've been describing your life to me today through that lens of grateful reframing in terms of tragically losing your sister Elaine, in terms of your own health challenges, overcoming cervical cancer, and also in terms of, of the, your own experiences of burnout as a young doctor. So I think you're a great example of actions speaking louder than words and how you, through your actions, have demonstrated your valuing gratitude and resilience and optimism and grit. I mean, you know, Angela Duckworth in, in, in Pennsylvania has described this term called grit, which is really all about passionate persistence. Mm. I think you exemplify that, Darren. Would you agree? But it's actually interesting that you say grit because I think that I do have that as well. And that would but that would have been the the main thing, I guess, when I was younger, you know? Yes. When, when I was a younger person and it was it was grit, it was determination, it was ambition, it was hard work, it was go, go, go. But I still have that bit of, of grit and determination, but in a lot more balanced way now. Yes. And, you know, I've learned a lot more as I've gotten older. But it was it was pretty much 100 percent grit when I was when I was young. I know. You know it, was just, <laughs> it was just go, go, go. But one of the things for me that I feel so fortunate about particularly is it really is general practice, as I said, as a job to do to be a GP but also as a place to work. It um, is. And as a it's community. a wonderful privilege. Yeah. And as a, and a community to be in, you know, that I found GPs as a group were supportive of one another. And it's a really great space to be in. And I feel very fortunate to be there. And I, and I'm, and I love it. And, and it, it adds so much to my life, you know. 
And I'm sure you add so much to the lives of the patients that are lucky enough to see you as well, Darren. You know, I think it cuts, it very much cuts both ways. Can I ask you what advice you might give to a young, I mean, you are still young, right? I don't feel young, but I do feel like I still have a lot to learn. But. Oh, well, you're you're young. I mean, it's uh, it's funny how you said in the interview, getting older, but you're still very, you're very young. I suppose age is very much just a number. It's very relative, yeah. but you're still young. But what, what would you advice might you give to a younger version of you starting out, maybe an 18 or maybe 21 year old, 22 year old starting off on that journey? What, what might you tell them? So it would be definitely to follow your passion, but you're also your passions might change. Mm-hmm. And to allow that and to allow that flexibility and that if something isn't working, it's important to actually just let that go and move and mm. change gears and, you know, like that flexibility and not to put pressure to I think as younger people, oftentimes it can be very they can feel pressured into finding a path in life and following that path and, and mm. you know, taking the boxes and move forward and at the early stage of my career, I felt like that. I felt this pressure, you know, you, mm. for your internship, you have to choose a scheme to do. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what am I going to be? Oh, God, I better think of something and do it, you know. And as with the first time in my life where kind of something on a professional level didn't work out as, as I pursued pathology very briefly. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of just there to try to progress my career. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And, you know, I, I stepped back from it and, and I and I didn't continue with the pathology and, and I made a career change. But allowing that change, flexibility, being dynamic, um, if you develop different skills or different passions in life as you get older to pursue them and go with them. And because I, I see a lot of young people, younger girls at work who are as patients who really put pressure on themselves if they have decided to, you know, change course or change job or mm. change what they're doing. But I think you have to allow that in life and pursue your passions and allow it and, and go with it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great advice. I read recently one of the reasons people don't change is this idea of what's called the sunk cost, the, all the time, maybe an energy and commitment you've already given to yeah. something. But if it's not lighting your fire, if it doesn't fuel your passion, if it's not something that you love, then perhaps you should refocus your energy somewhere else. Yes. And you can get you know, stuck because you think I've done this. Yeah. And I've spent all of that time or you might have invested financially in something. But you it's know, hard. It can be. And you can get very stuck thinking you have to stay there. But actually, you can regroup and reframe and refocus. And that's such a good point that people can feel stuck because they've invested time, effort, money into something. But if it's not working, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I think just uh, making a shift will, will work out better in the long term. Even if that is, doesn't mean shifting from your from your career, it might mean, you know, developing a sideline hobby, yeah. developing an interest that maybe in time might become your career or might you, in time you might merge into more of that. Yeah. Because I think things don't have to be black or white or all or nothing. Yes. We only have the one life. So I think it's really important to be true to yourself. I totally agree. That's so true. You know, to be true to yourself and, and go with your gut. Yeah, do what's right for you. 
So Darren, if it was now 2024, it's three years down the line, what do you think life will look like for you then? What are you hoping? In other words, what's your best possible future self? What does the best possible version of Darren look like in three years time in terms of what you'll be doing, how you'll feel, what life will look like for you then? I, you know, as I've had so much, I've, I've really learned over the last few years that it's very, very difficult to predict the future. You can never, you never know what's around the corner. And that's right. That's something that actually is, I don't know, I, I don't know if that'll change in time, but I do feel like nothing, like tomorrow isn't certain. And when I, when I think of, you know, three or five year plans, my initial reaction is to say, well, who knows? I couldn't possibly predict because who knows what's around the corner tomorrow. And that's that's a sense. It was particularly after losing my sister, I got this. There's the real change yes. in mindset that your world can be changed as you know it overnight, you know. But I suppose if I had to say, you know, three years, what I, I, I want to be healthy, still doing my job. And, and as, as I get older, my job, is more and more important to me and what I do and, and how I do it and, and, you know, developing and upskilling all the time as much as I can. And, you know, just, just being healthy and, and, and enjoying my life and developing yeah, as a GP. I guess that's very much where I am in my head at the moment. Yes. I become, because I feel, because I see older GPs and I'm so, I'm envious of their wisdom and how... <laughs> And, you know, all of their experience and, and, and how great they are. So I, that's something that's really important to me now at the moment, actually, is really kind of putting in the groundwork and, and learning more and, yeah, becoming more skilled as a GP. Yes. Well, I agree with you. I think for me, wisdom is is, is a lifelong commitment to to never stop learning, to never stop growing, to never stop staying open. And, you know, there's no end point to it. It's you stay on the path. Yeah. Staying on the path is the path. That is the way, as they say. Jaren, can I ask you if our listeners could take three things home with them today from someone with your life experience, significant life experience, despite your youthful years? What three key ideas might you give our listeners? Well, we've spoken about it a lot, but it is gratitude. And I think Mm -hmm. gratitude, when I would have heard gratitude as a younger person, it had no meaning. I didn't even really think about it. But when you truly are grateful for what you do have in life, that brings so much happiness to you. And it really grounds you and focuses you on what you do have to be grateful in life. And I'm definitely going to take the tip of writing things down once or twice a week, because to really practice gratitude, it's something that I found very powerful. I think as well, flexibility and adaptability of thinking and outlook are really important as well. And just in your life Mm -hmm. in general. And I guess as well, then it's a tie as well, just between like taking time to nurture friendships and relationships. Those are so important for your psychological health and well-being and also optimism. You know, it's just having that faith that things will, is is it that things will be okay? It's a difficult it's a difficult thing to really, I suppose, to pinpoint what exactly what exactly optimism is, you know, but just having an optimistic outlook as well as, you know, gratitude have been really helpful and powerful. Finally, Darren, can I ask you 
For Jiren O'Leary, what is the meaning of life? I was thinking about this and look, I think it'll be different for different people and yeah. it might be different for the same person at different stages of their life. Of course. But I suppose I can only answer for myself. And I mean, as lame and as cheesy and as predictable as it might seem, I do, I feel like, how can I say it? Like, I do feel like it just, I guess, I feel so fortunate for my relationship with my husband and the love that I have for him, as cheesy and, and as predictable that, as that sounds. But I feel like that for me and just that, that finding love with him has been, I think, is probably one of the most meaningful things for me in my life. Um, and I've spoken a lot about all of the other things that are important in my life, but Love, I think, is so is just such a wonderful thing to have in your life. And for me, it's probably the most meaningful thing, if that makes sense. Well, Darren, I think that's a wonderful way to end our time together. It's been terrific having you as a guest. You are continuing to inspire so many through your work. And all I can say, Darren, is continue to be an inspiration in all that you do and all that you are. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.